0: our great God of glory, we come hungering, we come thirsting, that we might meet with you, the living God. Speak to us through your word, and as we gather around your table, remind us of your all-sufficient grace, your righteous love, the work of our Redeemer. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. This evening, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're continuing in our study of the Gospel of Luke, looking at Luke's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Now, the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. Every school child learns the story, even today, that on September the 25th, 1780, how George Washington, with his aide to camp, Alexander Hamilton made their way to visit Benedict Arnold, that great hero of Fort Ticonderoga, only to learn that Arnold had turned traitor by defecting to the British, attempting, albeit unsuccessfully so, that the West Point militia might be turned over to the British. Arnold has betrayed us, Washington cried. Whom can we trust now? And Hamilton called it a scene of the blackest treason. Hence, the name Benedict Arnold has stood for political Disloyalty ever since. Have you been betrayed? Have you betrayed another? In our passage, we learn how the disciple named Judas, called Iscariot, is associated with betrayal. And we read in the opening verse that it was. At the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Passover, which commemorates Israel's departure from Egypt uh, with that symbol of the Lamb's blood, a Lamb's shed blood, is striking and intentional as Jesus begins his last stage of his earthly ministry as the Lamb of God. This section of the gospel is known as the passion narrative derived from the Latin word for suffering. Jesus' sufferings begin with this plotting of his demise. Here we find Jesus' enemies scheming. They have tried for some time to eliminate this troubler of Israel. And the instigators of this plot are the chief priests and the scribes. Here we see their malice against Jesus Christ, along with their great fear, their fear of the people, many of whom greatly supported Jesus Christ, who gladly welcomed him into Jerusalem just a few days before but central to their scheme is to secure someone to engineer the arrest, someone who is prepared, someone from the inner circle who would betray Jesus. And here we see the ungodly religious officials in, with great glee as they find one willing to join them In their plot, that great traitor in Judas who would hand over Jesus when no crowd would be around to intimidate or to intervene. For these religious leaders knew how quickly a riot could ensue if they tried to arrest Jesus in public. Ralph Davis says, They may have considered it divine providence. But actually, it was all very grim. Religious leaders and Judas indeed make strange bedfellows, but they are united in the shameless act, the conspiracy against our Savior Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But behind these conspirators looms an even more sinister power later in our chapter we read where jesus says this is our hour and the power of darkness and the forces of darkness make their final move when jesus was tempted in the wilderness We read that when he resisted resisted temptation, that the devil left him, the devil skulked away until there was an opportune time. And as these religious leaders scheme, and as Judas gladly joins them in their conspiracy, it is the devil's opportune time. Since the beginning, the devil has been trying to thwart God's good purposes to bless his people. As Genesis 3 verse 15 lays out the conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent that has played for us throughout the entirety of the rest of the Scriptures. Now, this Was Satan's big chance. If he would kill the one who is the promised deliverer, then God's people would remain under his control. We read that Satan entered into Judas, that Judas was possessed by the prince of evil. But he was possessed in such a way that Judas himself is still responsible for his actions and his treachery in this betrayal of the Savior from glory. Satan does not coerce Judas to perform this treacherous act. They were partners, willing partners in this crime. Judas acquiesces willingly out of the darkness of his own heart. Many have tried to explain Judas' reason and motivation. Was he disappointed that Jesus did not overthrow the Romans with military power? We certainly learn of his fondness for money. After all, he held the purse strings He sold Jesus for the price of a slave in fulfillment of Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. We see in this passion narrative a culmination of the fulfillment of many of the Old Testament prophecies concerning our Savior, one of which I placed as our header verse at the top, Of the bulletin from Psalm 41, verse 9. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But as we read through this passion narrative, we need to remember that everything happened according to the will and plan of Almighty God. God sovereignly planned these events from all eternity. Forty days, a few more days than 40, the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost makes this statement as well. As he speaks of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, he preaches this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And this all is in keeping with our confession of faith chapter 3, paragraph 1, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature's nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. God works his sovereign will in such a way that man is both responsible and has free agency or free liberty of his will, though still tainted by sin. And moreover, while God can work Directly, he often has chosen to use means, even human means. So Judas freely committed his heinous act. But from another perspective, it is through this evil deed, this betrayal, that our salvation has come to pass. Judas was willing and he had his purposes but God even through this evil act had his purposes to save and to redeem a few chapters later in the book of acts when Peter and John are brought back to the people after having spent a night in arrest As they give their praise and thanks to God, gathering with his people, they pray. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined. To take place. This was the hour that darkness appeared to reign, but God was at work through his sovereign purposes and wills, will, that for those who love God, all things are working together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Judas went unwillingly to the religious leaders to fix a deal in which he would hand Jesus over to them quietly and they would pay him for his trouble. We see the true hearts of these men, but God has the final word. God always has the last word. The French pho- philosopher Voltaire, in his voluminous writings, he raged against Christianity and the Bible. In 1776, he predicted this 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. But within 50 years of Voltaire's death, the Evangelical Society of Geneva, a Bible society, in Voltaire's very house, using his printing press that printed this very statement, printed The Bible. Jesus is triumphant. Uh, Though they had their means of scheming, salvation is accomplished. And there is resurrection. Jesus triumphs. He is alive. He lives now and forevermore. He has crushed Satan's head. Today, people also seek to destroy Jesus. But he has and he will triumph, even through his passion and through those opposed to him, even in our own day. But back to my first question. At one level or another, Each one of us has been betrayed, perhaps in a small way. And it is likely that to some degree, each and every one of us have betrayed others. It is certainly true that we too have betrayed the Lord of glory, though perhaps not in such a heinous way as Judas. As we put our priorities ahead of his, as we live for ourselves, we have an element of betrayal. R.C. Sproul writes this. There are a thousand ways we each have betrayed Jesus by not keeping his commandments, by not willingly participating in his sufferings, affliction, and humiliation, by seeking to escape from the scandal that is the stone of stumbling to the world in Jesus. But never once has he betrayed you or I. Let's pray. Our great God of glory and of majestic grace, we acknowledge our need, our need of you, our need of your mercy, our need of your love, our need of, your, of this table that speaks of the forgiveness of all our sins, even through the betrayal an eventual perfect and righteous death of our Savior Jesus Christ. Our hearts extol you for his triumph and for the triumph of the forgiveness of our sins as we come to him, knowing that he is making us new, that we might grow in faithfulness and in a heart of love for him. We give you our praise. We cry out to you for your help In Jesus, our Savior's name we pray. Amen.